Amen. Let's take God's word together and turn to that New Testament book of Matthew chapter 3, if you would please. And uh, we come now to the next thought in regards to our little series on repentance. And, and I believe God is directing us to study. If you were here on Wednesday, the Lord gave us a very special meeting together. And I believe the Lord is stirring us, uh, really, on this one thought that we have read. We looked at on Wednesday night from the book of Romans, that God would establish us. I think one of the greatest problems in the Christian world today is that God's people are not established. They do not know the word. And because we do not know the word, we are unlearned and unstable, and we are blown about by every wind of doctrine. Everything that somebody hears, they believe. They swallow everything they're given because we're not established in the word of God. And it's my desire. I believe I, I have been one. I don't just blame every other minister in the world and country, but I also have failed in establishing the church of God. And I hope by the grace of God, we can begin to study his word and, and establish the people of God. And I hope God willing to begin a series on the book of Romans. And I need your prayer and I need help. So you pray with me that God would lead us in this. But we're going to begin here Continue this thought on repentance. Matthew chapter 3. Have you found it? The last two weeks we've considered a couple of aspects of repentance and we talked about that initial discovery of self. By the way, nobody ever repents until they recognize that they are not what they should be. No one is ever saved. I don't mean to hurt your feelings. But nobody is ever saved until they recognize that they are absolutely rotten to the core. Nobody is saved. You cannot simply say to God, I like the idea of Jesus. I'd like to add him to my life. It sounds like a good idea. I'm not so bad, but Jesus seems like a nice guy. I'll take him. That's not salvation. That's not salvation. Salvation is discovering the rottenness and wickedness of your nature. And that's a step. That poor in spirit is a step. Your brokenness over your condition is the next step. Blessed are they that mourn. And we're continuing this little thought today on repentance. I believe there's a third step. God working within us. One man once said it like this, the call of salvation is a call to repentance. I'd like to be saved, somebody says. There is no shortcut. The call of salvation, if you believe, as Horatius Bonner put into the words of a beautiful hymn, I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. Well, the call to salvation is a call of repentance. And in case you don't believe me, don't take my word for it. Take Jesus's. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 10, listen to these words. It came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come, watch this, I am not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners to what? Repentance. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. And look here, if you cannot admit that you're a sinner, then there is no repentance for you. And there is no salvation. If you cannot admit and see that you've sinned against Almighty God, then there is no salvation. That's recorded in Matthew. It's recorded in Mark. Mark gives us the exact same uh, scenario. Mark chapter 2 and verse number 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, of the doctor, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now look here. Let me tell you what that means. Jesus did not come for those who think they're okay. He came for those who know they got a problem. If you think today you're all right, can I just, can I just look here for a second? One of the most disgusting things in the eyes of God is the self-righteous. And unfortunately, listen, unfortunately, that oftentimes is disguised in the robes of religion. It can even be our faith. It can even be those who call themselves good, strong, doctrinally strong Baptists. Whatever label you want to call it, if you're self-righteous, you're disgusting in the eyes of God. And you need to find repentance. The book of Luke, Luke chapter 5 and verse number 32, the same thing is given to us. I think it's important. If God gives it one time, it's important, isn't it? But if he gives it three times, if he records it three times as an emphasis, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The call of salvation is a call to repentance. And the call to repentance is a call to come home. I love the prodigal son. You know that if you've been around this place any length of time. Luke 15, Jesus says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors and saying unto them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep which was lost. And Jesus said, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Repentance brings a soul home to God. I wonder, would you look here? Have you experienced repentance? Have you turned from your sin? Have you seen the ugliness of your own nature? I want to talk a little bit about that in a moment. And you may get upset with me and I'm sorry. I'm not too sorry, but uh, I want you to see it. Because if you don't see that there's nothing good in you. If you don't see that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, then you will be tempted to hang on and cling to that one good thing you think you have. If you think there's one good thing in you, if you think I'm not that bad, come on, chill out a little bit, please. I'm not a murderer. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not that bad. If you think like that, my friend, you've got a problem. You still think you're okay. And as long as you think you're okay, you're going to hold on to what you think is good in your life. And can I tell you, that's going to take you to hell. That kind of self-righteous attitude will take you to hell. 
true repentance begins with that discovery. I am poor in spirit. And then the response to that discovery, you mourn. Blessed are they that mourn. Now, mourning is not the goal. Weeping over your sins is not the goal. Jesus Christ is the goal. The discovery of your rotten, wicked sin nature is just a step. Your brokenness over your sin is just a step. They're just instruments to point you to Jesus, tools to make you see and know and feel your need. But can I tell you, it isn't enough just to see your need. It isn't enough just to feel your need. It isn't enough just to know it. Your need must be met. I could be made to see today. Some of our dear dear brethren and sisters are going through difficult health conditions. One of our dear sisters we've spoken about has been diagnosed with cancer. She knows she has cancer. And she feels it. She feels the way it's affected her living. She has seen it through a scan. They've literally shown her this is your condition. She has seen it. She feels it and she knows it. But can I tell you something? It's not enough just to see it, to feel it, and know it. You need to be delivered. You might be here this morning and you might know you've sinned against God and you may feel the weight of that sin, the consequence of it. You may see it clearly, but until you get deliverance, it's no good. There are many people that died and went to hell that knew they deserved it, that knew they needed it, They knew it was rightfully theirs. Something needs to change. That's what we need. And that's what we find together in Matthew chapter 3. Look at it with me, please. That's the clear message of the preaching of John the Baptist, the preaching of Jesus Christ, of all the prophets, of Paul, of Peter. Same message. Repent. Repent. I said to the children a moment ago that God works repentance in a person. This is very important to understand. Look. Uh, most people, most people recognize that salvation is a gift of God. I think we'd all agree with that, wouldn't you? Would you agree that salvation is a gift from God? Good. I think we recognize that nobody is saved without God's wonderful gift. Therefore, everything about it is a gift. The air you breathe, the breath out of your mouth when you pray to God for forgiveness is a gift from God. The words that you're able to articulate are a gift from God. The mind that you're given so that you can pray is a gift from God. And the grace of God that bringeth salvation, that hath appeared to all men, that is a gift from God. And look here, repentance is no exception. The more I am on this side of my salvation, the more I realize it's all of God. Do you know that? The more, the longer that I am saved, the more I begin to realize I didn't do it. I did not save myself. I did not wake up one day and said, you know what? I'm tired of living like this. I think I'll go for a change. I didn't do it. The more I'm on this side of it, the more I recognize God has been so good and so gracious and repentance is a gift. Now watch this. Let me show you. The book of Acts, turn there with me, please. Acts chapter 11. You may be thinking, uh, how, can, how can repentance be a gift if God commands us? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Acts 11, verse number 18. Listen, listen to what Peter says. When they heard these things, verse number 17, for as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
What was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace, the disciples, the Christians, and they glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. You see that? God granted to the Gentiles, God gave to the Gentiles, just like God gave to the Jews, this gift of repentance, which leads to life. Marvelous that God would give us such a gift. Well, there's others, just in case you're not sure. 2 Timothy chapter 25, no, Acts chapter 5, actually. Go, go back a couple of chapters. Acts 5, verse 30 and 31. Some of you may be boiling at the moment. Hold on a moment, I'll explain. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. God gave repentance to Israel, Acts 5. God gave repentance to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 11. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 25, just in case you're still not quite sure, 2 Timothy 2 verse number 25, Paul writing to this young preacher, by this point in time, the gospel is extended far beyond just the Jewish people. It has gone to the Gentiles, to every tribe, every kindred, every nation. The apostle Paul has begun his journeys to bring the gospel, preach the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. And Timothy will continue that same work. And in 2 Timothy, look at it with me, please. We're told the same thing. Verse chapter 2, verse 20, 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Repentance is a gift from God. Now hold on a moment. How then, look here, how then can we repent if it's a gift from God? God has commanded all men everywhere to repent, so how are we supposed to repent? How can he ask us to do something that we can't do unless he gives us? Great question. It's the command to repent that makes someone begin to seek God, to try to repent. You know what happens when somebody begins to try to repent? They get very frustrated. And they say, even my repentance is broken. Even my repentance is no good. Even my repentance is sinful. And this causes someone to throw themselves helplessly and hopelessly at the feet of Jesus Christ, trusting only in him. And that, my friend, is what God is looking for. For us to abandon all of our attempts to save ourselves. Because you know what will happen? If we didn't, if we were never brought to that point, here's what we would do. We would be like every other self-help program in the world that says this. Look, if you put your mind to it, you can do it. By the way, that's what most Christians think repentance is. Most churches today, that's what they say that repentance is. Look, just put your mind to it. You can do it. You can do it. Smash your television with a sledgehammer. Take your mobile phone, throw it in the, throw it in the river. Do all of these things. You can do it. Put your mind to it. Come on, you can do it. I'll help you do it. We'll get friends. We'll help each other. Know what that is? That's self-righteousness. You can't do it. Can't change yourself. 
You can't save yourself. You can't turn yourself. And even your repentance is futile. We must cast ourselves on the mercy of God. And when you do that, knowing that even your repentance is corrupt, you'll say, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. That's salvation. When we fall upon him. Helplessly, hopelessly. We can't even trust in our own repentance. God works repentance in our mind. That's when we know something needs to change. I wonder, would you look here? How many of you have been, don't raise your hand, just think for a second. How many of you have ever been brought to the point in your life when you know you're in trouble? And I'm not talking about trouble with the law. I'm not talking about trouble with your teacher or trouble with your father or your mother. But you know you're in trouble with God. I was 18 years old when that reality hit me like a ton of bricks. I was 18 years old, lying on my bed one night on a Wednesday night. I remember it like yesterday. And like a ton of bricks, it fell on me. I'm in trouble with God. I had gotten into a little bit of trouble as a teenager with the law. Had to go to court twice, stand before a judge. Always in trouble with my parents. Always. I, I knew what it was to be in trouble with authority, in trouble with my parents and teachers and every. But I never knew what it was to be in trouble with God until that day. And on that day, I began to realize my sin was against him. God began to work in my mind. He began to show me that my sin, all I'd ever done was stacking up against God. And I was going to meet him one day. And all the things I'd gotten away with that I thought was no problem because nobody saw it. And I never really hurt that many people too bad. All of those things I began to see in my mind's eye. And I began to realize God has seen it all. And he has not forgotten it. I did not get away with it. And I, as I began to see those things stacking up in front of my very eyes, I began to realize, hold on just a moment, I am not as good as I pretended to be. God was working in my mind to show me. Matthew chapter 21, listen to this very interesting little account. In verse 28, Jesus said, what think ye? A certain man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. The son answered and said, I will not. Watch this. But afterward, he repented and went. He came to the second son and he said, likewise, go into my field and work. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he went not. Whether of the twain did the will of his father. See what happened? A man had two sons. He said to one son, go work in my field. And the son said, I will not. But later he repented. You know what that means? He changed his mind. He began to think. I should do what my father says. And he went. The other son said, yeah, I'll go. No problem. I'll see you out there in a little bit. And he never went. Repentance is a change of mind. Have you ever been there? When you realize, look, I am headed down the wrong direction. My sin is taking me to hell. It's destroying me from the inside out. I look okay on the outside, but inside I'm rotting. I'm corrupting. I'm in trouble. I feel it. It's a, it's a work in the mind. And then God begins to do that work in your heart. You begin to feel it. We feel our weakness. We feel our inability. 
We fear that we can't save ourselves. We can't stop sinning. We can't change ourselves. We're like a, we're like one, like a hamster on a wheel going round and around and around doing the same things over and over again. Sometimes we look like we're doing good and then we fall on our face again and you feel it. And you can't do anything but cry out to God. But you know, there are many times when God reveals to somebody their sin. Look here. And that person doesn't care. You listening? There are many times when God will bring somebody to you, directly to you, or bring you to someone, and they will say to you, look, you're in trouble. You're in trouble with God. And if you don't get right with God, you're going to be in trouble. And instead of listening, you brush it off. God has shown you. God has been kind enough to say to you, look, you are in trouble and you can't be bothered. You've seen it, but you don't care. There's an indifference. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 13, Jesus speaks about this. Listen to what he says. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works have been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented. This was a city. Jesus had done a lot of works in them, miracles, and they didn't repent. Now look here for a second. Let me tell you what I'm tired of hearing. I'm tired of people saying, if God would give me a sign, then I'd believe. You know what that is? That's a bunch of baloney. I'm sorry. Here are people who watch Jesus perform miracles before their eyes and they still didn't believe. Still... The very fact that you say, I'll believe if I see, is a, is a indication of your obstinance. And it proves you would not believe even if Jesus stood right in front of you. Woe unto you, Jesus says. But when God begins to work repentance in your heart, this, like the psalmist says in Psalm 38 and verse number 17, you will say like the psalmist, I am ready to halt. I'm ready to stop. I'm finished. I'm ready to stop sinning. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm ready to halt and my sorrow is continually before me. I will declare my iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. That shows that God's moved from working in your mind to working in your heart. I'm ready. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm sorry. I hate it. But it's not enough even to go there. Even a change of mind when you know you've sinned and you don't want to do it anymore. And even a change of heart when you hate it and you grieve inside. That's not enough. It doesn't save you. It doesn't do you any good unless it causes you to fall upon the mercy and grace of God. I believe there are many a soul who went to hell knowing that they were sinning and hating it and wanting to change, despising it but never falling by faith on Christ. And I believe that's the third work that God does in repentance, a work in your mind, a work in your heart, and then a work in your will. Your will is that steering wheel. It drives you. It motivates you. Like the prodigal son. Do you remember him? He laid there in the pig pen and he said, what am I doing? My... My, the servants of my father had bread enough and to spare, and I perish here with hunger. I will arise. I'm going to get up. And I will go to my father. But you know, even that wasn't enough to get him home. Do you know that? He could have laid there till he died and thought about how much God had at home, how poor he was. He could have laid there until he died 
and knew that he should have got up and gone. But until he got up, did him no good. I will arise. And then finally, he arose. God begins working repentance in our will. We get up and we come to Jesus. I wonder, would you look here this morning? Have you gotten up? Have you got up? Have you known, seen your sin, felt your sin, and said, I'm not staying here anymore. I'm out of here. There's an old, the old you may have heard the old illustration uh, of, the, of the acclamation um, little, little test. Ill, um, what do you call it? Um, scientific experiment. At some university, some say different universities, so I won't name one. But they drop a little frog. They said they dropped a frog in boiling water. You remember what? The, the, the old, the old illustration said they dropped the frog in boiling water and as soon as the frog touched that boiling water, he hopped out. He said, I can't stay here anymore because he felt it. He felt it. But they did another experiment, experiment, put the frog in lukewarm water and increased the temperature one degree at a time and let it set for a while. One degree at a time. Until the frog was cooked to death and he didn't even know it. Because he got acclimated and comfortable in the heat little by little. You hop in a, in a hot shower. It burns you. And then you get used to it. Alternatively, a cold shower. After a while you get used to it. You and I need to be like the frog dropped in boiling water. We need to see our sin, feel our sin. And hop out of our sin by the grace of Almighty God. That's that last work of repentance that causes you. And this is what is called, John the Baptist is calling for in Matthew chapter 3. Repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, look, the Savior's coming. You're running out of time. Get right with God now. And then he says this in verse number 8, when he sees the religious crowd, he says this, look, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits, Meet for repentance. Repentance. Give evidence that you have repented. Give evidence that your mind has been changed, that your heart has been changed, that your will has been changed, which has caused you to change directions and run from sin, run from the wrath to come, and into the arms of a loving Savior. Have you done that? Repentance isn't just a heart broken for sin or because of sin, it's a heart broken from sin. And coming to Christ involves you turning your back on sin. If you want God to wash away your sin, then you're going to have to forsake the sin you want Him to wash away. You can't say, Lord, wash away my sins while you're still indulging in the same sins. And only God's grace can take you from them. Only God's grace can wash you from them. What does it look like practically? What does it look like? I believe it looks like this. Uh, three things that are a part of this active work of repentance in your will. I believe it involves confession. You remember what the man said, the prodigal son in Luke 15? He said, I have sinned against heaven and before thy sight. Confession. You will never turn from something you're not willing to admit is wrong. You ever notice that? You ever notice when you're praying that you oftentimes don't want to mention the things you're struggling with because sometimes you don't want to change. And you want to keep those things and so you don't talk about those things. You don't pray about those things because you like those things. But if you really desire repentance, you confess it. 
confess your sins. That's what the psalmist said. We read it a moment ago in Psalm 38. He said, I will declare my iniquity. Look here. Did you, have you ever confessed your sins? Not to a man. Please don't go into a box somewhere and confess your sins to a man. You confess them to God Almighty. You confess your sins to a man. That man has just as many problems as you do. That man has no ability to wash you clean, save you, do anything. You need God. In fact, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he, that's God, is faithful and just to forgive us. I believe it. In Luke chapter 18, do you remember the, the little parable of two men who went down to the temple to pray? And, and one man was a Pharisee, a religious man. He said, I thank God I'm not like these other hypocrites. He said, I'm not like these other little sinners, publicans and things. I pray so many times. I fast. I give my money. And the other man was a publican, a sinner. And the Bible says he wouldn't even look up to heaven. You know what he did? He beat his chest in an agony. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Confession. The Pharisee never confessed his sins. He confessed how good he was. The publican confessed. Have you confessed your sins to God? And it's not enough even to confess, but we must forsake. Matthew chapter 3, we read it a moment ago. That's what John is saying. Bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. Look at verse number 10. Now also the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn, cut down, and cast into the fire. Some people don't like this kind of preaching. They don't like, they think it's harsh and abrasive and they would rather go to a meeting when someone talks about love. But the truth is, God knows that our sin is dragging us away from God's love. Our sin is dragging us away from grace and mercy. And if some, if somebody doesn't tell you plainly that your sin is taking you to hell, that the axe is laid to the root. I grew up in the backwoods of Ohio and, and we used to, I remember as a child uh, at the age of Titus, nine years old, taking an axe back to the woods and cutting down my first tree. So proud of myself. And you would do that by laying the, the, the axe, you touch it to the bottom of the tree where you're going to begin cutting. And that's what Jesus said. The axe is laid to the root of the tree, meaning the Lord is just about ready to cut the tree down. And he says very plainly, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is cut down. If your life does not have fruit that shows you have repented, fruit meat for repentance, then my friend, the axe is laid to the root of your tree. I don't care how many times you come to church. I don't care how much theology you know. If there's no repentance in your life, the axe of Almighty God is lying against the root of your tree and it's a matter of time before it falls. So repent. The command is repent. It's meant to cause something inside of you to tremble. When God says repent, when the scriptures say God has commanded all men everywhere to repent, that's made to make you stop and say, I'm in trouble. If I don't repent, I'm in trouble. He says in verse number 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. It's amazing. If you look at John the Baptist's ministry and Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist's ministry prepared people for Jesus. His ministry was one of repentance. Repentance prepares people for Christ. Repentance prepares people's hearts to receive the Savior. You're not ready to receive the Messiah. You're not ready to receive the Savior until John the Baptist has come with repentance. To make you tremble and recognize the acts of God is laid against the root of your tree. Then, when the Lamb of God comes to take away the sin of the world, you run to Him. 
Nobody runs to the Lamb of God until they recognize the axe of God is laid against their root. Then you run. Then you run to the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Then you go. These two ministries cannot be separated. The ministry of repentance and the ministry of the blood washing of Jesus Christ. They go hand in hand. I wonder, have you repented? Have you forsaken your sins? Verse number 12, John gives another illustration whose fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly purge his floor. That's an old pitchfork. It's a winnowing fork. That's what the fan was. A farmer would go in those days, they'd bring in the wheat on the threshing floor, bring in oxen or men, and they trample out the wheat. And, and trampling the wheat, the wheat would be broken from the chaff, broken from the shell. And then they'd bring the winnowing fork and toss it in the air, and all the chaff would be blown away and the wheat would fall to the ground. Look here. Very soon, Jesus Christ will thrust his fork into the heap and toss it in the air. And if you do not have the substance of Jesus Christ in your soul, if you've never been brought to repentance and turned from your sins and by faith are holding on to Jesus, then my friend, when that fork goes in and tosses us all up into the air, you will be blown away. He'll gather together the chaff of which you will be part and you'll be cast into the fire. That's what it says. Unquenchable fire. The coming of Jesus Christ should motivate you to look more intently at our Savior. The one thing about repentance that I love is repentance causes us to run to Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul says, For they themselves show, show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's repentance. You turn to God from idols. Have you done that? Acts chapter 11. Let me give you three verses in Acts and I'm finished. Acts chapter 11 and verse number 18. We read this earlier, but let me read it again. When they heard these things, they held their peace, glorified God, saying, God also to the Gentiles hath granted repentance unto life. Look, for those of you who don't like the word repentance, that is the pathway to life. Repentance unto life. There is no eternal life without it. Repentance unto life. And then Acts chapter 20. I love this one. Verse number 21. Paul writes and he says this. Testify, he doesn't write. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's salvation, friends. Look here. Just this week I was able to invite it. Our dear brother Giles invited me into his school so I could speak to 80 or so children in an assembly. I was able to preach the gospel. And I told the children, salvation is like a coin, a two-sided coin. One side of the coin, you find repentance. On the other side, you find faith. Both are necessary. Repentance toward God, away from sin, toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus. Believing Jesus died for all that sin. Believing his blood washes away all of your sin. That's what repentance and faith means. And in Acts chapter 26 and verse 20, the scriptures tell us this. He showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent 
and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Have you turned to God? Look here. Have you turned to God? Have you? Have you turned from your sins to God? If so, the call of the child of God is to bring forth fruit meet for repentance. It shows you have repented. The evidence of repentance is a changed life. Are you changed? Are you any different? How can we say that we have repented of our sins and believed on Jesus Christ and yet still walk in the same path we've always walked in? The evidence, by the way, this ought to make you walk carefully. This ought to make the child of God walk circumspectly, cautiously, carefully, always looking and examining, encouraging, should encourage you. Yes, my life has changed. There is fruit. Meet for repentance. Now, I wonder, in closing, would you look this way for a moment? If you were to just stop and examine your own life today, is there any fruit in your life that says you have repented? If I were to tell you, if I were to plant a tree here today and tell you it's an apple tree, the only evidence that it is an apple tree is the presence of apples on it. You tell me, yes, I've repented of my sins. The evidence of repentance is a changed life. Well, I'm not saying that you've got to be perfect. There's not one person in this tent who's perfect. But I do believe there ought to be a change in desire, a change in thinking, a change in direction. You ought to hate sin with a passion. It ought to grieve you every time you do it. You ought to want to, want to walk so circumspectly. Remember what Paul said? I, I buffet my body. I bring it under subjection. I want to live so carefully, he says. That should be the desire of every repentance of soul. I want to say something in closing that may upset some of you. We live in a generation that talks like this. People say, we all sin. Have you heard that before? Hey, you know, look, we all sin. You know, we all make mistakes. Yes, but we shouldn't. If you've been born again, you don't have to. Do you know that? If you have been born again, you don't have to. You have a sin nature, yes, and that'll be a part of you until Jesus returns and gives us a glorified body. But you no longer are servants to sin. Sin no longer has dominion over you. I'm not preaching sinless perfection, so don't throw anything at me. But you don't have to give in. So stop making excuses for your sin. God has given us everything we need to live righteously. He's given us everything we need to walk appropriately. So stop excusing it by saying we're just, we're all just sinners at the end of the day. The truth is, if you've been born again, you're a saint. Do you know that? If you've been born again, he doesn't call us sinners anymore. He calls us saints. So stop calling yourself that. I'm not saying you're high and mighty and self-righteous. By no means, without the grace of God, we're nothing. But I've been called, set apart to live for God. Not to live for myself anymore. So rise to the calling and follow your Savior. Walk in the power He's given you. Has God given you His Holy Spirit? If Look here. This is the only faith in the whole world where our God comes to live inside of us. What excuse do we have? God lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Don't tell me you can't do it. Don't tell me you're, you're, you're just not able because God has given you what you need. 
So may God bring us to repentance and cause us to walk circumspectly. Let's quit making excuses. Now, if you're here today and you're lost, there's one message for you. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you're saved, here's the message for you. Bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. Because the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Jesus Christ is coming. Just as he was coming that first time and John prepared the way, he's coming again very soon and we're called to prepare the way. It's the same message. Believer, time to quit playing games. Time to quit making excuses. Time to get serious about living for God and enter in to the fullness that he has for you, that abundant life he has for you. And enjoy walking and living for Christ. Would you bow your head with me, please? Father, we acknowledge today that without Thee, we can do nothing. We can't change. We can't wake up today and decide we're going to be a good person. Many of us have tried it and have failed over and over again. I pray, Lord, that today each one of us may sense the working of thy spirit in our lives. I pray for those who are lost, God, especially, especially those right now beneath the sound of my voice. God, I pray that by your spirit, you might show them that they are headed to an eternity in hell and that the only hope of their escape is Jesus Christ. Show them, Lord, show them that there is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world that is able to wash them whiter than snow. Help them to come, to turn and come. I pray for the believer, including myself, Father, help us to bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. May we be those, Lord, who live a changed life, truly, genuinely changed, May we cast ourselves upon thee, recognizing there is no change without thee. May we be caused to cling to thy feet like the Syrophoenician woman did many years ago, begging for crumbs from thy table. O oh Lord, grant unto us crumbs. Just crumbs. Father, when we begin to taste and see the goodness of thy table, we would Realize that we've been invited not just to crumbs. We've been invited to sit and dine. That there are riches and truths in thy word that would fill our hungry souls. That would enable us to walk a life, live a life that brings honor to thee. To live a life of holiness. To live a life of joy. Of true peace and joy. Oh Lord, help us to enter into such living. Give us, we pray. Thou hast given us. Help us to enter into all that thou hast given us. Guide us in all of these things, we pray. Give us clarity. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.